It's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode 212, New Amarok, Better Than Its Ranger Twin. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me in looking at the other piece of the Ranger Amarok puzzle, a key contributor, Tim, and Hello. Deputy News Editor, Justin. Hello. We'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, you can jump ahead via the time codes in the notes or click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's get deep diving. And we've got our colleague Stephen Otley to thank uh, for this story. He, he uh, authored this story earlier in the week. We've been dominated almost by uh, Ranger because we now know what the car looks like. There's a lot of detail still to be filled in, but the other half of that twinned uh, model is, of course, the Volkswagen Amarok. And he's dived in and, and uh, tried to determine what Ford has, has um, you know, offered up to Volkswagen and what Volkswagen has contributed to, to Ford in, in the Ranger. And it's a really interesting story. Um, Justin, what, what do you think is the, the, the key thing? It's due to arrive here in 20 or due to arrive in 2023, but we're going to see it in 2022. Is that right? Yeah, I think mid-2022 for the reveal. Um, but again, obviously, by that stage, the Ranger will be going on sale in Australia, so we'll pretty much know everything about Ranger, and therefore there probably won't be too many surprises with Amarok, aside from styling inside and out. But, uh, yeah, early 2023 for an Australian launch for Amarok, so it'll have, you know, six to nine months behind Ranger to give uh, the core model a bit of a head start. That would have been an interesting negotiation, don't you think, you know, in terms of so. when they're going on sale. I wonder how on earth... Uh, Ford kind of noodle its way into getting a nine-month lead on, on Volkswagen. Yeah. Very interesting. It, if you look at BT50 and D-Max, obviously being one of the more recent uh, collaborations in that segment, um, BT50 only trailed D-Max by a matter of, what, two or three months? So it was pretty short. You know, it wasn't that far behind from an Australian perspective. But, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, Amarok and Rancher have definitely got a lot more uh, air in between them. Yes. Now, uh, Tim... What do you make of, first of all, what you've seen of the Ranger? Are you a fan or not? And we've already seen renders, of course, of, of the Amarok. Um, how do you think that's shaping up? They look pretty different. I mean, I think Volkswagen wants to keep very much to its family appearance and, and Ford has gone down the American uh, route for, for its design. Where are, you, where are you standing on it? Yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be quite the teaser campaign for the uh, Amarok if it's still quite a few months away and we're already seeing these renders. Um, I was lucky enough to see a Ranger in the metal in Melbourne a few weeks ago when they revealed it. Um, and, you know, I, I think it looks quite striking and very bold in the images, but in the metal, it was a wild track in that, you know, the orange that they do, it's probably called some other marketing yeah. name, but the orange yeah. Ranger uh, wild track. It's really striking, but it's still very much a Ranger. Like, I yep. feel like it's an evolution of the current one, but with, as you say, James, those quite bold American, you know, F-150 truck cues that we're also seeing on the Maverick, the smaller, the little yeah. truck. I hate saying call They, call, really they, call, it, they call it DRL C-clamps, yeah, um, you know, to, to describe them. They are pretty distinctive, yeah. Yeah, and it's... 
it just, it, it, I know it, it hasn't grown enormously, but it does feel like a, a bigger car. And I think those, the renders that we've seen um, from Volkswagen give kind of a bit of a hint, but it, it does sound like that they are going to kind of take their own direction. Like uh, the overall shape is obviously going to be very similar, but I think it will be distinctive enough um, for Volkswagen to kind of stand apart, which they clearly want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's going to be really interesting when we finally see the full photos. I talked a lot from a Volkswagen perspective about wanting to not lose Volkswagen DNA, and this is going to be a you know a new Ute with Volkswagen DNA, although it is you know going to be ninety five percent Ford DNA. Um, but you know from the sketches themselves, from an yes. exterior perspective, and you've got to remember the first exterior sketch we saw, I think it was back in twenty nineteen. So it's already right. been you know eighteen months since that came out. We've got another nine months or six months to go before we see the real yes. deal. So it's one of the more epic teaser campaigns but um either way though those exterior sketches all along have certainly suggested that you know you got to get a different front fascia at the very least with amarok obviously different wheels i'd be surprised to see if the doors are any different um certainly the glass house will obviously be the same all the hard points will be um but yeah they might do a similar thing with bt50 and dmax where they had you know different tailgates and obviously different lights as well so i think from an exterior certainly front on the amarok is certainly well, the suggestion is it's going to be quite different to look at and a yes. probably more of a European, more sophisticated, dare I say, kind of design. But what surprised me this week is we got our first sketch of the interior. Interior, yeah. Which is interesting to see how much differentiation there is there. Tim and I yesterday were sitting down looking at a side-by-side with the Rangers interior as well. And again, if this sketch is representative of the you know production design, it's actually quite a few differences in terms of presentation and stuff like that, you know, repositioning of cup holders in the center console, different vent designs ever so slightly different. Um, but I suppose the core things that most people will notice if you go side by side is the big touchscreen in the middle, the portrait yep. style um, from Ranger is obviously carried across to Amarok as too as the digital instrument cluster as well. Yep. And I'd be shocked if Volkswagen ran their own multimedia system on them. It'd most certainly be Ford's Sync 4 powering it but um well, that, you know, if you ignore those two things it's almost completely different that's the almost. that's part of it isn't it the there is i want to say it's t6.2 is the, the t, yeah 6.2 yeah. so is the electronic architecture which is um enabling new safety mm-hmm. gear but also the sync 4 and yeah it's interesting that steve spoke to ryan davis who's the you know director of volkswagen's commercial vehicles in australia and he absolutely confirmed that he said you know will still have a number of unique Volkswagen elements to ensure it has its own appearance. And that was steering wheel, switch gear, seats, yeah. um, all of that inside. So that, that seems utterly accurate. And it's interesting that you mentioned 2019 as the first time we saw teasers. I think generally designs are frozen about two years out, maybe a little yeah. more um, from when they appear. Yeah. So Volkswagen must have been feeling a degree of confidence at that point that this is what the thing's going to look like. Let's start teasing it from now. Interesting in terms of the relationship, that teaser from I think it was late 2019 and maybe I'll get corrected um, because I'm just saying that off the top of my head, but that was the first time we'd seen anything about the T6.2 platform stuff. Ford hadn't teased it or anything like that. So Volkswagen had not one but two cracks, I think, before before Ford ever actually started their teaser campaign or anything like that. Um, So it's kind of interesting that Volkswagen got the jump there but obviously still going to be a little bit behind yes. in terms of uh, release. Yep. Now, the other thing, of course, in terms of 
who's contributing what to who, Ford's influence on the Amarok, of course, is under the bonnet um, in that Volkswagen has um, had a lot of success with its V6 uh, turbo diesel, um, and Ford obviously took notice and said, all right, I think that's where we should be, and now they're actually going to be sharing one. Um, yeah. So that's it. It's, it's the power stroke um, Ford three-litre V6 turbo diesel is the one that we're talking about. And mm. question without notice, it already runs in an American Ford product, does it not? Yeah, it does in the F-150, but this yep. Ranger version, um, uh, the great contributor, Byron Mathilakis, uh, did a, big, a bit of a deep dive on powertrains and things like that for the Ranger. And essentially, yeah, it is the F-150 power stroke, but they have made a number of modifications to it for the Ranger application. So it's not necessarily like for like, although the engine in itself is, um, uh, you know, the core is still there, if you will. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, they've made a number of modifications. Still haven't confirmed power outputs, but it's probably around the same mark as F-150, which is 190 kilowatts, 600 newton meters, which yep. neatly kind of lines up with where Amarok V6 uh, currently is so you know they won't be conceding ground or anything like that necessarily so they're pretty like for like but yeah to yep. your point jc you can definitely see that uh volkswagen influenced ford in terms of their engine choice but ironically volkswagen is now going to be running a ford <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's right i mean would at those outputs 190 and 580 steve's theorizing that that sets a new benchmark uh, for the youth segment, but um, I, th I think it's going to be done close uh, to, yeah, to that. So Amarok's currently 580, but this this new Ranger slash Amarok Power Stroke V6 should put out about 600 newton meters, which should mm. yeah move the benchmark up a little bit, and power will be similar to what Amarok already does, not on overboost. So, um, yeah. but again, we don't know the final figures; we're just guessing at this point. Right. It'll That'd be, be interesting, interesting to see, to see how, how that works out in terms of. Um, you know, presumably they'll have exactly the same outputs for both models. But, yeah. you know, what if one of them is kind of like, oh, actually, we wouldn't might like maybe Ford, given they've got the jump on you know, mm. timing, they'll be like, oh, we're just going to have a few more kilowatts or a few more. <laughs> yeah. Or even when it comes to special editions and things like that, like, yeah. you know, are they going to have a bit of a battle there? Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. The the other thing I suppose that comes to mind is towing. I mean, there's there's presumably... The, the chassis, the, the frame is able to take a certain amount but put more power through it, maybe they can up that as well. That would be an interesting uh, little yeah. um, match-up also. Point. To Tim's point, though, what I'd be interested to see is once the Raptor eventually comes through for Ford, whether or not they go for a slightly different tune of that diesel for the Raptor with a bit more power. And considering we understand that Volkswagen isn't going to get a Raptor equivalent in-house, you know, they might miss out on that more powerful version of that engine potentially. Again, just spitballing, but be interesting yeah. to see what uh, Raptor brings yeah. to the table. You are, you are prone to spitballing, actually, Justin. It's a nasty <laughs> habit. I know particularly oh, when you're in the office. Sorry. It's very off-putting. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's Frankly, it's disgusting. I agree with Tim. Now, the, on the other side of the coin, of course, you've got Volkswagen uh, also contributing a slightly wider body. The, the aim being to fit a standard pallet in the tray between the wheel arches. That's an AMROC feature that's been uh, key uh, for them, and Ford will pick that up. So they'll have that to share as well. Yeah. I think Volkswagen basically went with a uh, you know list of requests, you know, mm. basically based on the success of the current AMROC and said, you know, these are things that our, our buyers are expecting. So if possible, can they please be part of this 
project. And to my surprise, it seems Ford listened to a lot of those requests and, um, you know, took them on board Ranger, which obviously inevitably has made Ranger a better product now. But yeah, you can fit a standard pallet in between the wheel arches, which um, beforehand in that mid-size segment, Amarok was the only ute that could do that. But now Ranger's going to be able to do it too and, and new Amarok, of course. But yes. yeah, I think that's a big change, definitely. I suppose there's also the Walkinshaw relationship. You know, they could, you're talking about special models and power yep. and outputs and all of that kind of stuff. There's no good reason why that wouldn't continue um, where mm. Volkswagen could do something on its own on that score. Yeah. I um, had a chat with the Walkinshaw people uh, recently. And uh, yeah, definitely the inference is, uh, you know, they've had a lot of success with that W580 program with Amarok locally. Um, even if there is a new model coming or when the new model comes, um, they'll probably look to do something similar again. So even yes. though, again, you might not be getting a Raptor equivalent from factory, certainly from an Australian perspective, I'd be very surprised if Walkinshaw didn't have a new W600 or right. something like that. Yes. You know? Yeah, whatever it might be. So Raptor will go down one path and, mm -hmm. and a Walkinshaw Amarok, Amarok may, you know, take a different path to get to a similar destination. Yeah. Yeah, I think on the flip side as well, like obviously Ford's that that V6 diesel is going to be the flagship um, for the regular range of range, right? Mm. But then they've got the bi-turbo um, diesel that we've seen before, a bit of a modified version, and they've got a single turbo version of that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Volkswagen, you know, currently they still have, I'm pretty sure they still have the four-cylinder um, tur uh, turbo diesel Yeah. Um, as well as that powerful V6, will they take a four-cylinder version for entry-level versions or are they just going to go, we're just V6 only now? I don't know. That will be interesting. It's a good point because 80% yeah. or something like that of Amarok sales in Australia are the V6. Like it's a ridiculously high number. So maybe they mm. turn around and say, we're just going to go V6 only. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder also if the four-cylinder versus V6, much as you know, people tend to write it off, it's a perception thing as well. Um, here we are every day talking about electrification and what have you, but in terms of a tradie truck, um, people probably want a V6 rather than a four-cylinder engine, just almost on an emotional level as much as a, yep, an yep. actual practical level. For sure. Uh, totally agree. And I think these demands, whether they were demands or requests from Volkswagen, who knows? But I think as to your point, Justin, as well, this has only benefited the Ranger. Like it's got a meaty V6. Australian buyers love that. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that you can put a pallet in. I mean, it's incredible to me that the Ranger is, it's 10 years old this year, the current, the T6, and it is, uh, it's the last few months it's been the top selling car in the country. It's like Lionel yeah. with Hilux to be the top seller in its final year on sale. That is incredible. Yeah. And, 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 and still the segment benchmark too. Yeah, and ha hats off for a design that has aged so well. You know, yeah, totally. um, a lot of other 10-year-old models, you, you kind of, we all were pointing fingers at, at 370Z and, oh, look how ancient it is and whatever. Mm -hmm. the, Ranger, the Ranger has done brilliantly well in terms yeah. of the, the aging of that design. Definitely. Yeah. What, one other thing I just bring up. In, it was a good facelift. One other thing I'd bring up in regards to the requests that Volkswagen made, the one that surprised me the most that seemingly, well, not seemingly, Ford has actually fulfilled um, is the availability of permanent four-wheel drive. Again, yes. Amarok V6 is yes. uh, known for having four-motion permanent all-wheel drive. And obviously, they've again gone to Ford and say, hey, you know, we want to have yeah. permanent set up. And to my surprise, at least, Ford actually listens. So the V6s mm. have permanent four-wheel drive and four cylinders have part-time as traditionally has been the case with Ranger. Yes. But it's, a, it's an interesting move. 
And that's it, isn't it? They're linked. So you go for that V6 engine and you'll have the four-wheel drive yeah. as we understand it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Yep. That's going okay. to be very interesting to see. Now, look, the, the, the Ute news doesn't end there because uh, we also had Richard Berry following on a story that's been just ticking over uh, for several years, um, launched in no small way by, you know, announcements from Kia almost that, that a Ute for Kia was in, in the offing. And Richard was not alone in divining that that had all gone a bit cool. Um, that we weren't hearing any noise about that any, anymore. And in typical fashion, he bowled up to Damien Meredith, who is the MD of Kia in Australia, and just said, uh, so what's the story? Um, we, haven't, we haven't heard anything. And more or less, he got oh, the, the chances of it becoming reality are, are just about zero. <laughs> so after, after all of this chat and, and um, theorising, uh, Mr Meredith has come around and said, look, it won't happen, but there's some very good reasons. And it was largely to do with um, the availability of an existing ladder frame chassis that would be capable of competing with the likes of Hilux and Ranger and D-Max, and also inevitably the size of our market and the other smaller ones that would make up the primary audience for a vehicle like this. That, that was what was coming out of the factory um, Damien Meredith was bullish about, yes, we, we could do 20,000 Kia utes a year, but in the global context for a manufacturer like Kia, that's a tiny drop in the ocean. So it seems like a business case was put up, all sounding very, very good. Um, announcements were made, um, but nothing has happened um, at this point. Such a fascinating story because, you know, it's I think 2019 was when they famously had a, a press conference where the question of expanding into new segments, maybe looking at a use because Kia was on the rise, still is, um, came up and, uh, you know, we got this, yep, we've asked for it, petrol, diesel, single cab, dual cab, ladder frame, it'll be a proper ute, we'll sell 20000 a year. Um, they even put a date on it. They said 2022, which is next yep. year. Yeah. Um, and, and since that point in time, they stopped talking about it. And us pesky journalists, every time we saw Kia, uh, was always like, what's the update on the Ute? You spoke yes. about it a lot last time. Like, how far are we along? And we were, from that point onwards, pretty much met with a no comment. Yep. Um, and, and, yeah, again, Richard's obviously managed to get the official word now. But it's just such... Such a fascinating case in the last two years. They've just gone dead silent on it. And then uh, now we find out that it's basically, quote, unquote, probably a long shot yes. at this point. So, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But I think the other thing as well, and Richard raises it in his story, holding it back platform, yes, but also potentially having to get these diesel and petrol engines into this platform and get it all ready for a brand that is going to start in some markets being electric only, by the end of this decade. Yes. You know, it's a massive investment to get a platform ready to support diesel and petrol when theoretically, maybe not in Australia, but it won't be on sale in eight years' time. Yes. Um, yes. Like it's, it, yeah, I think that probably from a business case perspective didn't really add yeah. up. So there is, of course, potential for maybe hydrogen or electric ute down the line, but the Kia ute that we were somewhat promised certainly doesn't seem to be happening. Yes. And yeah. it was interesting, I had the opportunity to ask a similar question of Hyundai recently, you know, so the Hyundai Ute, what's happening? And all I got was, Gee, how about those swans? You know, I didn't think they'd, uh, I didn't think they'd make it to the quarterfinals or, you know, whatever it was, just an immediate kind of change of subject. Yeah. Um, and oh. basically lip zipped. No one's talking yeah. about uh, that on either side of the Hyundai or 
Kia thing until till Richard put it up to to Damien Meredith and very good. Mm. I'd love to know how far it got because, I, like to your point as well, both of you, it, it makes complete sense that they almost wouldn't do that for such low volumes when they are moving so fast into electrification. Like it, yeah, I yeah. completely understand the decision, but I would love to know how far it got. Um, yeah. You know, if, if it was like a Jaguar XJ situation where the whole vehicle was developed and they went, well, let's not. Or, um, or whether you know. there's a there's a business case presentation comb bound sitting on a shelf somewhere just with a half a millimetre of dust on it and that's as yeah. far as it got, you know. I, in, I reckon there's every Korea. chance an email, an email was sent with a list of, hey, this would be great, and it was just <laughs> left on red and that was it, you know. <laughs> It's in the junk folder. It's in the junk folder. <laughs> yeah. oh, God, but, um, you know, word word on the street was that the, the high ups in uh, in uh, the Hyundai Group and and Kia probably more specifically weren't thrilled about all the the noise that was being made about a Kia Ute in Australia, and and certain people were giving uh, given a rap over the knuckles um, over it. So it's all the more surprising that uh, Damien Meredith has just opened up and uh, gave mm. Richard such straight answers. But but there mm. it is. So it's, uh, the yeah. the ultimate thing was they said look it's not a total no but it's far from a far much further yeah. than it's ever been from a year yeah it's interesting because it's like you look at the four by four ute segment i think it's now the single largest segment in australia by sales by yep. some margin so more than medium suvs small passenger cars blah 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 um like how much growth is there again considering like obviously utes are very hot but again considering this move to electrification how much more growth do you think yeah, we're going to see in that great segment point. anyway over the next yes. 10 years? Yes, I think we're at 20% of the market is Utes. Um, so, yes, yeah. how much higher is that going to go? That's a great point. Yeah. You, yeah. you think, though, that some people, if there was a Kia or Hyundai Ute in market, um, you know, if they're brand loyal or even brand agnostic as well, you know, they might go in and say, hey, this is the Kia Ute. I'm going to get seven-year warranty. It's reasonably yeah. priced. got plenty of features. Yeah. Um, maybe I don't want to buy an LDV or a Great Wall. I'm going to buy this instead. Um, yep. So you, you'd yeah. think it'd probably steal sales from a lot of its rivals. Yes. But at the same time, how much potential is in their segment for people to just come in and have their first Ute be a Kia Ute or a yes. Hyundai Ute? I don't know. Yep. Those rivals must be pretty happy though, like Ford and Toyota and everyone. Like, yes, it's not happening. <laughs> Particularly with new Ranger coming out, because again, next year we were meant to have new Ranger and potentially Kia Ute launching. And that would have yeah. been fascinating to see yep. how much. Uh, Kia ate into Ranger's slice, but you know Ford must be laughing now. True, Apparently, soon to be Volkswagen too. It's interesting. Just to to finish the conversation off, I love uh, the Aussiness of uh, Damien Meredith's response. He says, "We put together a plan about four years ago and said, look, we believe we can do this many.'" And uh, Mr. Song, who was Ho Sung Song, uh, a senior, you know, global chief executive officer. Said, oh, I nearly fell off his chair. <laughs> Which I just reckon it's great. 20,000, he fell off his yeah. chair. Um, so it, it, <laughs> it, made a, it made a bit of an impact, but uh, yeah, it's seeming like a super, super long shot um, at this point. Well, All right, that's fantastic. Thanks, guys. Uh, now we will move to our garage, cars residing in it that we've been driving. And Tim, I'd like to. Sp- uh, start with you because it's fairly close to home in terms of the the brands we've just been talking about. Fill us in on what you've been driving, please. That's true. Yes, I have just gotten out of a Kia Sportage, the new generation Kia Sportage that launched, I think, last month. Um, uh, and I was driving the GT line, which is the flagship uh, model grade with the turbo diesel engine. Um, 
And interestingly, the week before it, I'd just gotten out of the um, also very new Hyundai Tucson Highlander diesel, which is essentially the same car underneath, same platform, same engine, the whole kit and caboodle. So it's a custom Tim Tim Nicholson comparison, basically, week on week. Pretty much. Exactly. Exactly right. Great. It's funny because that Hyundai, I couldn't really fault it. And I did have a good chat with our colleague Byron about this. There was nothing really wrong with it, but there was just something that was missing that driver engagement. It was missing just that, you know, that thing. It's like, I'm just, I don't love driving this. It's very functional. And most people will be very happy buying that car. But the Kia has got that level of dynamism Uh, and driver engagement that's missing from the Tucson. And it's- Uh, but for my money, it looks better. Um, the, the cabin is just as spacious. I, I love they've got in that top spec one, they've got that um, curved screen that goes across the yeah, entire nice. dash yeah. on the driver's side. I think they've done that better. Ergonomically, it's it's superior. Um, the ride is better as well. And somehow, yeah. even though it's got the same engine, I don't know how they've done this, it's more responsive. Right. Like, right. it's, yeah, they've, well, they've just done it, it, a better job. It's really interesting. I'm I uh, for what it's worth really love both designs. Um, okay. I always uh, I follow Chris Harris on on Twitter and he was talking about the Tucson. He said he loves when one he sees one on coming. He just loves those things and he kind oh, of yeah, the lights. mentally gives them a wave. Um, but I think it could date rather rapidly. It's it's mm. um, I don't know, just a gut feel. But yep, uh, I agree. that's that's superficial. But interesting that you've got a kind of personality difference out of the driving of them. Um, yeah. under this I think that comes down to the local ride and handling tune yeah. that Kia has given the Sportage whereas Hyundai who has done that for many years didn't do yeah. that with the Tucson and again I've driven both of the same cars as well and to Tim's point the difference between them is pretty stark mm-hmm. Hyundai is pretty ordinary to drive in comparison the Kia is definitely a lot more lively engaging and all that so um, I think it just goes to show you know those dollars spent on localizing the car yeah, makes such a big difference. And if you were tossing up between the two, I personally would buy the Sportage. Forgetting about looks, I would buy the Sportage without even thinking about it. Yeah. I just, I just wonder. I mean, we're keenly aware of of that. That for a time Hyundai was tuning suspension locally. Kia continues to do so. That I, I don't know whether people bowling into a showroom to buy those cars are particularly conscious of it, but just the effect that that has when they do the test drive, when they start to yeah. experience the car, it's it's uh, having an impact. Unless you're like hugely brand loyal, though, you would possibly be cross shopping a Tucson with a Sportage or a Sportage with a Tucson or CX5, Rav4, whatever other things in segments. So hopefully, most buyers would go out there and you know test the waters with a few different brands and a few different models. And I'd be, I'd hope that most would see the difference in terms yeah. of interesting the driving. But again, if it's just the type of person that likes to go to A from A to B, they might not notice. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm going to go as far to say, look, and I haven't driven something like the new Mitsubishi Outlander yet, but for my money, that Sportage is now right up there with the best in segment. I was great. so impressed. Great, yeah. great, great. All right. Unless you buy the S, which is the base model, and that likes to remind you that you didn't spend a lot of money or didn't spend as much money as you can <laughs> on other grades because the interior is plastic fantastic. It yeah. is quite, um, not, it's unbecoming of what you get in a GT line. I'll what a brilliant like word, unbecoming. It, it's, not <laughs> used, it. it's not used enough. Um, <laughs> conduct unbecoming. Yeah. Uh, now, we're staying inside the same tent here, Justin, we because have. you've been driving a Hyundai, but of a particular type. Tell us about it, please. 
Yeah, I've got behind the wheel of an i30N, which of course is the hot hatch uh, from Hyundai, Volkswagen GCI competitor, um, all that kind of jazz. Um, now, obviously, the i30N launched a few years ago. It's had a facelift recently, but that facelift crucially brought in the long-promised dual-clutch transmission. Uh, yep. We've been waiting seemingly since the launch of this car originally um, for that to become available, and it only has with the facelift. But um, yeah, it's been a long just- time coming. I just wake up at night sometimes thinking, when is that? When is the dual clutch coming? <laughs> well, like, what? What's going like on? The you, you know, we've been waiting for that yeah. for a few years. It's like <laughs> we've also try- been waiting for the DCT in the I30N for a few years as well. But unlike the Kia Ute, the DCT is actually here. It happened. So yep. It happened. Um, but no, I was particularly excited to drive it because um, funnily enough, my sister actually bought one and she had it delivered during one of the uh, lockdowns in Victoria. So she's had it for months and I hadn't been able to drive it because I hadn't been able to go see her and all that kind of stuff and mm. and whatever. And um, anyway, finally had one booked in, got to drive it, wasn't hers. Um, uh-huh. And I uh, I had so much fun. I, I really love the manual i30N, but the DCTs, it's just a fantastic transmission. And even if it did take them three or four years to actually bring it to market, I'm glad they took their time because it's probably one of the best DCTs, I reckon. It's it's pretty, pretty fantastic. But mm. I suppose for me, um, the great thing about the i30N um, being a bit of a, if you've got a bit of hoon in you, I'm saying I am a hoon, but it makes a lot of noise uh, and a lot of oh. characterful noise. And I think the DCTs, uh, the best way to exploit all that sound that it makes. So um, I haven't seen so many people fearful for their lives because they thought they were getting shot oh, wow. at because it's, oh. you know, gunfire basically coming <laughs> yeah. out of the exhaust. It's yeah. just the cracks, the pops, the whips, all that kind of stuff. It's so characterful. It's hilarious. Can, can you get your sister to a circuit and grid up for a three-lap screamer or something and see who is actually, you know, I think best? so. Yeah, good. I think so, oh, that's good. possibly. So what I, what I did during the course of that uh, time that I had it was, um, yeah, obviously was trying to learn the best way to extract the most sound out of it. And she's obviously had her car for a few months and, and immensely enjoyed it. But um, uh, I came back to her and actually, funnily enough, saw her the day after I gave it back and we went for a drive in her car. So I have finally got to drive hers. And then I showed, yeah. I showed her how to make it um, louder of sound. And she uh, was absolutely laughing, but also sick at the same time. So, uh, yeah, no, she, she really enjoyed oh, it. Good. But the one thing that I'll say quickly about the DCT that it has which completely sums up the i30N is it has this mode called NGS, which is N Grin Shift. Grin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the equivalent of like Porsche's sport control response that you get in 911s and that. So it's just like a button on the wheel that you press and it basically gives you full attack for 20 seconds, um, makes everything as aggressive as possible. Um, so great for overtaking, be it at a standstill or a while on the move. Oh. But the noise and the theatre and the way it performs during that 20 seconds, like I don't think Grin... There couldn't be a possibly a better word to describe how you feel. So I think Engrin Shift is a perfect name for uh, that particular button. Yes. I experienced that in the Kona in yeah. uh, recently. Yeah. And, yes, it's, it's great the way it'll give it a red-hot go for 20 seconds and then it kind of needs a breather. I think, yeah, I 40 think it needs, breather. needs 40 seconds to just yeah. <sighs> and then you can uh, have another crack. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, Hilarious. Fantastic. Now, I'll finish things off. I had the opportunity, uh, the the reviews up on the site, to drive the latest iteration. It's the seventh gen version of the 911 GT3. Um, So we're not in the cheap seats here. It's up around 370 grand. The thing is, it's a four litre 
Atmo 6. There just aren't any non-turbocharged engines around, but this one happens to be a high-performance car. It's also available with a six-speed manual if you want it. Um, I drove the seven-speed dual clutch. Of course, it's rear-wheel drive. It has an electronic limited slip diff. Um, it's not as fast as a 911 turbo, but it's still fast. It's 3.4 seconds, 0 to 100. What's, what's half a second between friends? You know, this thing is still ridiculously rapid. And when you're at that money, it's up in the league of an Aston Martin DB11, uh, the V8 one, a Huracan Evo, a McLaren 570S, and of course the Merck AMG GTR is, is in its sights. Um, it's 375 kilowatts, but it's up at 8,400 RPM is the peak and 470 newton meters, and that's at 6,100 RPM. So you'd think, oh, it's, it's kind of got nothing at the bottom end, far from it. It's just got heaps of crisp, beautiful power right across the rev range. And by the way, its rev ceiling is 9,000 RPM. Um, it's got, for the first time, a double wishbone front end, and that's basically adapted from the RSR Le Mans car, which is a mid-engine 911 um, that's been very, very successful. And it makes a spectacular difference to the car. Um, drove it on a track test at Sydney Motorsport Park. And for people that know that circuit, turn 18 is the last corner onto the start-finish straight, and you're coming from down, and it's a sweeping left-hander, and the, the, the camber changes through the corner, and you're, you're waiting, waiting, waiting to clip the apex before you can open up the steering and head down the straight. And normally, it's a waiting game in mid-corner because the, the camber is so dodgy. This thing, you're on the gas so far before the, uh, the apex, it's just not funny. It is phenomenal in terms of its uh, dynamics. It, it was just, it blew me away. Um, the, it also has the PASM, so it's this um, adaptive uh, dampers. The engine is incredible. The sound that it emits, the induction noise, the exhaust note, it's got a lightweight exhaust. Everything's lightweight. The glass in the car is lightweight. Um, the brakes are incredible. The seats, um, it's very hard to fault it. It's not very practical because unlike <laughs> 911, other 911s, it doesn't have the plus two seating. It just has... Um, space back there and if you tick the no cost club sport option box you get a, a roll bar it's sort of like a mini um, cage in the back there um, and you get a six-point harness for the driver and <laughs> that kind of stuff uh, it's a little bit thirsty um, you know they're claiming around 13 liters per hundred there's no aeb because it's such a performance focused car um, and people are going to be putting on the track there's no aeb in this one and Porsche only offers a, a three-year warranty. I was scratching around to find things that you might put against this car. I think it's probably the best car I've ever driven, uh, the best road car I've ever driven. It is spectacularly good. So there you go. Big call, <laughs> big call. Yeah. So have I've you driven the Sangyong Starvik yet? Uh, <laughs> I, do, I prefer to call it the Rodius, um, you know, which, of course, <laughs> is its its real name. Um, yeah, but... In terms of road cars, the, I've had the privilege of being able to drive some pretty special exotic sports cars and what have you, but but that experience in that 911, I was just having to shake my head and think, uh, how can a car with the engine hung out over behind the rear axle be doing what this car is doing? Um, really, really special. Could, could you live with it, JC, or is it a second car? I, I It's very much a second car, I think. Um, the, the, the seats, even the standard seats, it's a bit of a clamber in rather than a get in um, exercise. Um, it, it's probably, yeah, borderline a special occasion uh, type of car. I don't think it's a, a really livable daily driver. 
you could do it. Um, it'd mm. be, but you're just driving it in traffic. You know, um, I think it, it would be better for a, for a special occasion. Yes, which is funny because I always get surprised. I don't know if it's just my area of how many people I see the daily GT3s and GT3 RSs. Like I mm. saw a guy yesterday that was his daily. Well, well, I was, you're insane to be driving an RS as a daily. Because an RS, yeah, I'm, I'm like the RS version of this, which will inevitably come, yeah. will be something to behold. Uh, yeah. Because this thing, one, one of the tame racing drivers that was at the event, you know, shepherding you around and helping you do what you do, said this is basically the equivalent of a Porsche Cup car of five years ago. You know, right. the, the lap time potential and the dynamic ability of this car is like a race car of a race version of five years ago. Um, so the, the the RS, God knows what that's going to bring to the table. Um, mm. Can't wait, but uh, yeah, pretty special. Wow, exciting! All right, now let's dive into some feedback. And uh, last episode, we had Steve and Mal at Bathurst, um, what just pre that event. So it was the Friday prior to Bathurst. And the first thing I've got to say is sorry about the sound. Um, we were we were setting things up as best we could, but the sound didn't really work out. There were some people who came at us at the uh, comments email uh, address and let us know that it was unlistenable for them. So hmm, we can we can do better. Hopefully we're in slightly better shape today. But for, first up, apologies for that. But then Peter Pan, I think, spoke for a lot of people when he said, I used to watch Bathurst religiously. I had every TV in the house tuned in to the big race so I wouldn't miss a single moment. Those days are long gone and I haven't tuned in for years or supercars generally for that matter. He was watching the, that night's news and was showing the post-race celebrations when the camera focused on a Holden wins Bathurst poster. He said, at that moment, I felt angry, sad and resentful all at once. How friggin' pathetic. Um, he says, I don't see the point of supercars, to be honest, either in its current form or future format. Holden versus Ford's no longer relevant. Mustang versus Camaro is irrelevant to begin with. I'd be surprised if the Mustang's still around in 2023. But then on a different note, he says, in closing, I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and happy and prosperous 2022. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, to, to his point about supercars, though, my, my dad used to be a massive uh, supercars fan. He famously nearly missed my birth because he would rather watch Brocky win Bathurst because it was Bathurst Day I was born on on a Sunday. And uh, Brock was racing and he didn't want to leave the TV. But I think my mum screamed from the, uh, from the room and then eventually pulled himself you did away this. from Get the TV. Yeah, yeah. Participated for the birth and then left again. <laughs> but like he yes. doesn't, doesn't engage or watch supercars or anything mm. like that anymore personally. Um, I'm much the same too, but that's just me. Do you know I noticed what having a, an occasional look on the TV uh, during this year's event it looked like it was really easy to get up to a viewing point at Mount Panorama. Whereas typically it's like fighting your way through a crowd at a mm. rock concert. There just looked to be a lot of breathing room. So I, I yeah, I wonder about that too. Mm. You think it's, it's, it's gone downhill in terms of attendance and, and yeah. even the non Bathurst, um, the other ones through the year, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Obviously, in the last two years, everything has. But yes. yeah, um, that yeah, the, the the Holden versus Ford thing, I, I I kind of agree with. I used to watch it with my dad. Um, we went to Sandown quite a few times. I met yeah. Peter Brock. I've still got a picture of a very skinny version of me as a child standing next to Peter Brock. Um, <laughs> nice, and, you know, giving those ones to like Dick Johnson, like we were a Holden family. Right. Um, 
But similarly, I have not watched it in years. And to be quite honest, JC, I didn't even know who won until you said right. before. There you so, go. There you yeah, go. I've, I've certainly lost interest. I, I think it's, uh, for what it's worth, my opinion is I, I'm reasonably uh, excited about the Camaro versus Mustang thing. I think there's a, um, a certain cachet there. I was massively disappointed by the way the current Mustang race car looks. It just looks silly. It yeah. looks like a looks like an Aussie racing car. Those little ones with the motorbike engines in them. Um, I couldn't yeah. warm, I couldn't warm to it at all. It seemed like it had hit a real brick wall with where the cars were going. So, anyway, um, you know, what about you, Justin? Do you do you ever tune into the the supercars, or did you give Bathurst a bit of a look? Uh, yeah, occasionally from year to year, I might watch the end of Bathurst or something, you know, yep. right at the end, uh, yep. just to see what's happening. But I think like a lot of people, um, and this kind of reflected the mainstream coverage of it, you know, Bathurst seemed to be a big thing across all the major publications on Sunday. It was all featured with live blogs and things like that. But any other mm-hmm. supercars rounds, you wouldn't even know what's happening no. yes. unless you were following specialist media, right? So it's it's crazy. Obviously, Bathurst is is the race, um, and hence why it gets that kind of coverage or whatever. But um, yeah, as a casual viewer, I might tune in, but I'd be more interested personally watching the F ones than. The isn't that, isn't it interesting? It, it's a bit. It, it's become a cultural event. I think you're right. It's a bit like the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. You know, this Boxing Day <laughs> thing where people have no interest in yachting for 364 <laughs> days a year, or the Australian Open become interested in a lot of rich people um, sailing yeah. their boats from from yeah. Sydney down to Hobart. It's bizarre. Totally. Yeah. Seasonal. So yeah. yeah, yeah. The other thing with the racing is I've, I've, I have to wonder how much longer it's got in it given the push for electrification. Like, are we going to see soon the Mustang yeah. Mark E versus the Chevy Volt, Bolt or something? Like, I don't Who know. Knows? Like, it's, Who knows? What's going to happen in 10 years? For, yeah. Formula One is making pretty big investments in synthetic fuel. Um, Porsche, yeah. we were talking about them minutes ago. They're making big investments in synthetic fuel. They want to find a way to have internal combustions have a life okay. Um, okay. that's in, environmentally reconcilable. Um, okay. Because, you know, Porsche, for example, has such an immense back catalogue and car park of 911s that are still on the road. They want to keep those cars circulating. Um, you do have Formula E at the moment, though, but my understanding with that is, again, it's so regulated that everyone's driving the same car, which I think arguably makes it kind of more exciting in the sense that it's not like, oh, I had the quicker car, that's why I won. It's kind of really down to skill. Yeah. You know, put Lewis, put Max in a Formula E car and see who's, who's Who crashes the best, first. maybe, you know. Yeah. Who crashes yeah. first, exactly. So. <laughs> Um, hopefully without beheading the other one, but uh, oh you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. I think that's more interesting, but obviously you don't have the theatre because there's no sound, but arguably F1s don't sound as good as they did 20 years ago, obviously. No, no. All right. Well, that's interesting. But we also had another good comment and an interesting perspective from Fat Man Overlanding. He's still overlanding. Um, he says, "You are." we were talking about electric vehicles, so it's a nice uh, connection there. You're so right. Lithium is a finite resource. This and its inability to be recycled is the reason Toyota says it will continue to use nickel metal hydride for their hybrid cars. When he first read Toyota will use those nickel uh, metal hydride for the new Tundra hybrid, which is almost certainly also in the LC300, thought it was a backward step, but read into it further and it just made sense. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, that that lithium works well from a technical point of view, but as far as I understand Mm. it, mining it is a fairly delicate operation environmentally. And then the recyclability is another aspect of that. The thing with that specific Toyota point, though, is there are hybrid models now that they are releasing or updating with lithium-ion batteries. Camry Hybrid being an example, now lithium. I'm not sure about RAV4, um, but definitely like the Lexus NX from Toyota yeah. Group, that's now yeah. lithium-ion as well for its 
um, hybrid system too. So, you know, a number of models are kind of moving in that direction. Not all of them, mind you, but still, you know, yeah. a fair few. But it's a bit of a balancing act. It's something I hadn't thought about in terms of recyclability and, and all of that stuff. Um, really, I really interesting point. A, a lot of um, OEMs and even miners and stuff are now looking at what can replace some of these rare earth metals because of not just recyclability, but just the, the general impact um, yeah. on the environment, but also the supply chain. And there was an interesting article I saw last week about cobalt mining in the Democratic Republic of the Congo Ooh, and how yeah. like a huge amount of people that are mining them are miners, like children miners. Dodgy miners ass. Who are miners. Dodgy ass. Yeah, miners yeah. and miners. adults. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's I'm, I, they really need to sharpen their focus like globally on that because yep. it, it's going to get to a point in a few years where, you know, well, people are buying EVs because they want to be environmentally friendly. But if they find out that some of the metal uh, in that is sourced from something sketchy, that's the irony. Isn't it? It's it's a very, that's an interesting one that has probably mm. further to run in terms yeah. of how that might unfold. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I visited our Apple Podcasts uh, page and I turned up three new reviews. Thank you very much. Chan Rajit said, "Great podcast." Best to get knowledge in the car world. Thank you very much. And Sakoz, I love listening to this podcast and have done so for ages and is deeply entertaining for any car lovers. And then last but not least, Alex Baby 21. Fun and informative. Awesome podcast for car lovers. Great banter between the team. James is an excellent host and joke teller. Keep up the great work. Always look forward to the next episode, either on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, five stars. And I actually think all three of those were probably authored by Crafty's mum. She I was, has going to say it's an insider there. I think it's an insider. <laughs> I think it's I think it's someone having a bit of a go at us. But if they are genuine, thank you very much. If it's Crafty's mum, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much, Mrs. Craft. Amazing. Now, um, that in fact brings us uh, to the finish line. So it's time to say thank you, Justin. Thank you very much. And thank you, Tim. Thanks, JC. And thanks to our amazement officer, chief cannabis sniffer and hangover cure specialist, Mr. Pritchard, for his commitment to making us seem to look like we know what we're doing. Um, today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, shh, no one cares. Seeing eye pants and shopping basket platform sandals. Incredible. Uh, always pushing the boundaries. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show as Crafty's mum has done. Five is the preferred number of stars. Thank you. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, I'm planning a road trip over Christmas down the beautiful south coast of New South Wales. And my significant other's been asking which way I intend to cross Sydney Harbour to get us down to the start of the Princess Highway. And uh, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear me. <laughs> That's Pritchard level right there. <laughs> oh, sorry, he's listening. 